God can break every chain. Yeah, every chain. Amen. It don't matter if it's a physical chain, emotional chain, spiritual chain. God can break every chain. Right. You have your Bibles, go with me please to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. I want to do a Bible study on the life of Joseph. Joseph is a very well-known, familiar story, and it's one that we've all have been taught, one that we've all been um, studied over the years. But there's something very special about the life of Joseph and how the life of Joseph was a life that God had his hand on the entire time. From the time he was born to the time he was sold into slavery, from the time he was falsely accused, from the time he was thrown into prison from false accusations until he made his way from the uh, prison to the palace as prime minister over Egypt. Mm-hmm. And the, the story of Joseph is probably one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible because the fact that you can read the story of Joseph, it seems like each time you read it, it ministers to your heart differently each and every time. Genesis chapter 30 Beginning in verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto my own place and to my country. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you again for this time that you've given us, Lord, to dive into your word and, Lord, to learn from you and to study your word that we may grow in you. Father God, I pray that you just touch me tonight, give me the wisdom and knowledge and the anointing I need, Lord, to teach your word tonight. God, that I may preach with boldness and clarity and with authority. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If I could have your attention just for a few moments, I've got a lot of ground to cover just in this story. Now, I won't be able to do the whole story of Joseph. It's going to take us a couple of different sermons to get into the whole story. Uh, story of Joseph, but I promise you each and every time we go into the life of Joseph, it's going to be a new light to us and a new meaning and a new message to our hearts. But if you study the life of Joseph or if you study anybody's life throughout Scripture, there's several, several people that resemble Joseph in a way. You can look at all the kings, you can look at all the pests, and you can look at all the servants, you can look at all the masters. It does not matter if they were sitting on high thrones, if they were in the lowest valleys. Each person mentioned in the Bible, you can find, if you study long and hard enough, you can find each of their dark sides. Noah got drunk. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lied to save their own hides. They lied. Moses committed murder. David committed adultery. Solomon was an idolater. Peter cursed and lied. 
John the Baptist, he doubted Jesus. And again, the list goes on and on and on. The Bible is full of people who it mentions their sins. The verses that we have read tonight, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. His, His name means Jehovah has added. He lived 110 years and then throughout the life of Joseph, he had... Uh, no single sin attributed to this man. And we can learn a lot from Joseph because through all that he went through, through all that he faced, his faith never wavered. His, he never complained. He never looked at the bad side of things. He always stayed motivated and positive to keep on and on. Whether he was in a place of favor or whether he was in his house or languishing in a prison, he was the same man. Hardships did not faze him. The battles and trials did not move him. He stayed on track and when held the favor and the faith of God. Perhaps that's why the Spirit of God in the Bible gave him just as much as many chapters as he did Abraham, which is exactly 14. But if you study Joseph, he had 25% more than Abraham. And if you also turn into the New Testament, you will find that Joseph is mentioned four times within the New Testament. He's mentioned in John 4, Acts 7, Hebrews 11, and Revelation 7. But here we are stuck with learning Joseph through mainly the records of the Old Testament in Genesis. Another characteristic that marks Joseph's life is the number of areas where he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you have heard that Joseph was like a prototype of Jesus Christ. He was more like an image of Jesus Christ. He portrayed Jesus Christ. Besides being a godly man and the type of Christ, the uh, study of Joseph's life is very valuable because it stands as a model for every Christian. Every Christian can read the story of Joseph and apply his life and and his acts and his ways to our own ways. Again, he never complained. He never compromised. His faith never wavered. His feet never shifted off of the path. Throughout to the time he was born, to the time he was a prime minister in the palace, he never shifted. He never lost faith. Beyond that, one of the greatest aspects of Joseph's life is how clearly the hand of God was upon his life. Amen. No matter what he faced, no matter what he uh, uh, fought in his battles and, and, and to keep on track, it is, it is apparently that the hand of God was upon his life. I would like to take Genesis 50 and 20 as my text for this study. The verse says, But as for you... You thought evil against me, but God, I love that. You can ask me what my two favorite words in all Bible is, those right there, but God. Let me read that one more time. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And I take that verse and apply it to this study, and also to your life. That everything that the enemy meant for evil, God is about to turn around and make it good into your life. 
Take just for a moment. We've all heard the story. I'm not preaching a story that you have not heard before. That Joseph, through all that he went through, all the evil that was thrown to his way and towards him, God turned it around for his good. And so when we go through trials and battles, just like Joseph done, we don't need to lose our heart. We don't need to lose our faith. We don't need to get off the track. We just need to know, hey, I know the weapons that you are trying to form against me, they will not prosper because anything you throw my way, God is about to take that and turn it around for my good and for his glory. With that in mind, I want to take just for a moment and look at the early years of Joseph. I want to title this study tonight, Gold from an Unlikely Mind. Gold from an Unlikely Mind. Here we have a lot in our day about dysfunctional homes. And we're going to get into that. I may lose you just for a minute, but I promise you I'm not leaving the ball field. We look at a lot of dysfunctional homes in America that we have today. We have turmoil. We have violence. We have uh, homes of uh, abuse and drug and alcohol related homes and families and absentee parents that uh, abandon their, their children and abandon their homes. We are told that we are, in a sense, a product of our own environment. That we are a, um, that we are, the way we are today is based off the way we were raised. Have you heard that before? The way we act today our tempers, our attitudes, our thought in life was based on how we were raised as kids. But I want to clearly show you in the passage of Scripture through this story that Joseph blew that completely out of the waters. He said, that is not true. And he said, I'll prove it to you. Before Joseph was thrown into a pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he languished in prison, and before he stood before Pharaoh as prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his formative years in a home marked by sin, sadness, strife, and struggles. Yet Joseph, yet Joseph became a man of God and was used in the Lord's, in, by the Lord in tremendous ways. Amen. He did not let that define him. He, didn't, he said, I might have went through it. I might have been a part of it at one time, but that's not who I am. I choose not to be that way. I want to examine just for a moment Joseph's life. I want to talk about those formative years. Those years as he was born as he, and as he was a little, a little child. I want to see that God overcame Joseph's family and through all his upbringings and his raising. Looking at Joseph's family in his early years, most people would say and conclude that he is going to amount to nothing. All that Joseph went through through his family and all that he went through, you can mark it off that he will not be able to amount to nothing. He ain't going to be no good. But Joseph said, watch this. I want to show you how God dug up a piece of gold out of an unlikely mind. The miracle of Joseph's birth. Joseph's birth was a miracle. There was a testimony of his birth. Joseph was born into a family embroiled in the midst of controversy. His father, Jacob, fell in love with his cousin. There you go. That's first of all, there's your problem right there. Jacob fell in love with his cousin, a woman by the name of Rachel, and agreed to work for her father Laban and also Jacob's uncle for seven years to deal with as, as struck the wedding day arrived and Laban had two daughters. 
Leah was the oldest, but Rachel was by far the prettiest. On the evening of the wedding day, Uncle Laban tricked the trickster. Who was that? That's Jacob. Jacob was known as a trickster, but Laban tricked the trickster. On the evening of the wedding day, Uncle Laban tricked the trickster and sent his elder son, his older her his older son Leah to Jacob's tent instead of Rachel. But Jacob spends his wedding night with Leah when he thought it was Rachel. Then all of a sudden he wakes up in the morning and finds, you're not Rachel. Where's Rachel? You're Leah. And then Laban said, you got to work now seven more years before you can get Rachel. So within a week, Jacob now has two young wives, these two wives and sisters. Jacob clearly loves Rachel more than he does Leah. This sets the stage for jealousy. We have now entered into an episode of The Bachelor on ABC. Who will Jacob give the final roles tonight? Will it be Leah or will it be Rachel? Stay tuned next Monday night at 7 p.m. I'm trying to wake y'all up tonight. But there's your problem. It sets the stage for jealousy. Because now a young man by the name of Jacob has two wives, but clearly he loves and is attracted to one more so than the other. Is it long before now Leah gets pregnant? Leah gets pregnant with not but one, but four kids. She gives birth to uh, Reuben, Simon, Levi, and Judah, and another one on the way. We just stepped out of an episode of Bachelor, now we're on the Morris Show. Now we have Jacob sitting on stage with Leah and Rachel, and Morris sitting over there with a little postcard in his hand, and said, and, and Mari looks at Jacob and says, Jacob, on the count of Reuben, Simon, Levi, and Judah, our test results say, you are the father. It, it's okay. You can laugh in church. I promise you, God does have a sense of humor. That's right. So Leah is having all these kids. And now again, the stage is set for jealousy, envy, anger, bitterness. And now Rachel comes unglued because in that day and time, you was not a woman unless you could have children. If you was not, if you were a woman and you could not bear children, you were not looked as a woman. So, into her own hands, it gives Jacob her handmaid, Billah, to have children in her place. Does that not sound familiar to you? Let me say it one more time. She gives Billah the handmaid to have children. I'll get to that in just a moment. Just hang with me. Billah has two sons. I'm fixing to lose you, but I promise you, I'm going somewhere. Billah has two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Leah sees, his, sees this and knows that she isn't having children, so she gives her handmaid, Zilpah, to Jacob to have children for her. Now, Zilpah has two sons, Gad and Asher. Leah has three more children by Jacob, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter named Denai. Are you confused yet? Have I lost you? Now Jacob has ten sons and daughters, but his beloved was Rachel. His beloved was Rachel and is still barren. However, God is in providence. Here's Rachel's pleas and here's her cries and here's her prayers. But God reaches down and touches Rachel and opens up her womb. And now she has a son named Joseph. 
She went from barren to beautiful. She went from not able to have children, but now she gave birth to Joseph because it was a divine intervention. I want to tell you right now, each and every one that is in this church, you are here because of divine intervention. God placed his hand upon your mother and said, you will give birth to this child. You are not here by happenstance. You are not here by mistake. Joseph might not have came in the right timing, but he was not a mistake. <coughs> now, through his birth, it was triumph through his birth. Now, surely he, uh, Jacob was proud of his sons. Surely Jacob was proud of his daughter, but as he watched the woman that he so loved very much, sit there and cry, sit there and mourn, and sit there and, and pray to God that, that she would have a child and that she was barren and, and how God placed his hand upon her. Now she had a son. But that's just the purpose of the beauty of having children. It's like our beautiful children. God placed his hand upon my wife and brought so much joy and peace into our life through our children. He was triumphant through his birth. And also his timing of his birth. Jacob was the 11th son born in Jacob, but Reuben was the oldest. Form of all the outward appearances, Joseph entered this life at a disadvantage. He entered in the wrong time. The wrong time. Joseph entered this life, but it did not appear that there was much hope in this future. He would always be the low man on the totem pole because he was basically the runt. He was a low man. There was no getting advantage to the family because he was the youngest. The timing of his birth could not have been worse from a human perspective. But as we see, God knew what he was doing. See, we may think it's the wrong time. We may not think it's going to work out. But we also got to remember, it's not our plan. It's God's plan. Right. God had a plan for Joseph. And when, God, when Joseph came in, it was going to be to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. Let's look at Joseph's childhood. The problem areas of his childhood. Joseph's upbringing was not an easy one. In fact, he was like walking on a minefield. He didn't know which way to go. He was scared to walk over here and step over here, scared something was going to blow up. He was scared to come over here because he didn't know what was going to happen. Because of all the pain and turmoil, we think, how did a man like Joseph ever survive all that he went through as a child? We've already talked about the problems in the home, but now let's look at the problems in Jacob. And Joseph, and to add to the fact that, that Jacob obviously loved Rachel more than any other woman, which also added more trouble to the situation. At a young age, Joseph and his family made a hasty departure from his grandfather Laban because Laban was after him. They fled away from the cover of darkness because Jacob has cleaned out his father-in-law's uh, through deception. Imagine the fear as your, as your grandfather chases the family, overtakes the family as hard words and, and against your father. How would you feel? Jacob and uh, stealing from him. And, and uh, Jacob denies it because it was Rachel that robbed Laban. But Laban was after him. Jacob and Laban makes a covenant to stay away from another, but Laban departs and Joseph never sees his grandfather again. As word gets around, now Jacob's over here, and he's, he's by himself and he's praying because now he hears that Esau is coming to meet him in the family, and Jacob is scared of his brother Esau because of what happened 20-some-odd years ago. 
and how he divides his flock into three parts, hoping to bribe and soften the heart of Esau. But I want to show you something. Now, we looked at the home of Joseph, but I want to show you the family of Joseph. Now, again, I am going somewhere with this. Just hold on with me. Joseph's older sister, Denai, is raped by Shechem. Two of his older brothers, Simon and Levi, trick the men and end up killing them all. Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, dies. Jacob does nothing about it to make things right. Rachel, Joseph's mother, dies while giving birth to the little brother, Benjamin. Reuben, the oldest brother, commits incest with his father's concubine, Billa. Jacob knows about it and does nothing about it. Reuben, the oldest brother, commits incest, but Joseph's other grandfather, Isaac, dies and now is buried. Look what all Joseph is going through. Jacob was a passive father who allowed his children to do whatever they wanted with no correction. Jacob was also guilty of favoritism. We all know that story. Now he gave him a coat of many colors. And now all the brothers were envy of him and were angry at him. Joseph lost his mother at a young age. Joseph was uprooted and moved from his home at a young age. Now I said all that to simply show you this. That Joseph was surrounded at a very young age by rape, murder, incest, treachery, intrigue, idolatry, jealousy, death, and hatred. This is how the negative, hostile environment he was raised. I know many of you here tonight, you can look back in your own life. I'm not, I'm not saying that y'all had a life like Joseph, but you may have looked back into your childhood years and remember the things that you had to go through, all the hostile environments you may have had to go through that you could have easily, easily let that make you who you are today. Hear what Joseph faced? Again, might have brought up some memories for you. Well, let me encourage you this one thing, that no matter what you have faced in your past, whether it be your childhood, your teenage years, or somewhat of your adulthood, whatever you may have faced, whatever you may have gone through, I will tell you and promise you and encourage you, it does not have to define you as who you are today. All of your past, all of the things that have happened, you can easily give them back into the hands of God. And say, God, help me overcome this. I want to ask you this one question. Where did all this dysfunctional come from? Where did all this come from? In the life of Jacob, in the life of Joseph, Rachel, Leah, where did all this dysfunctional come from? It all started with, with uh, Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. Abraham asked Sarah to lie about their relationship. Sarah gave Hagar, her uh, maidservant, to Abraham. Did I not sound familiar? What did Rachel do? Did not Rachel give Bilah to, um, to Jacob? It's a, and what I'm trying to show you is, is a, it's a generational sin generational sin that started with Abraham, went from Abraham to Isaac, went from Isaac down, down to Jacob. We need to 
take this story and apply it to our own lives and make sure our lives don't become dysfunctional. Make sure our homes don't come dysfunctional by be less truthful with one another. All these are from the story of Joseph. Be jealous of your family members. Demonstrate favoritism to your children. Try to help God accomplish his will in your home. God does not need your help. He just needs your willingness. Practice deception so you can get your own way. Operate outside of the will of God. Live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. Sin is always the root of dysfunctional homes and dysfunctional life. The root of all dysfunction is sin. But not all of life of Joseph was negative. He had some positive parts of him too. One night Jacob sent his family ahead to stay away because he wanted to stay back and pray. Because he knew his, his brother Esau was coming. But then Joseph sees his father going to pray. And when he goes and prays, he encounters an angel. And we all know the story of how the angel touched the hollow of his thigh and now he become limp. So now when he met up with the rest of the family, he come back limping. Now, he, not only did he come back limping, but he came back with a new name. His name changed from Jacob to Israel. He will no longer be called trickster, deceiver, or the hill growler. His name is now called Israel, which means prince with God. He had an encounter with God and went forever changed his life. And then I believe that that had an impact on Joseph. God calls jo jo uh, Jacob to come back to Bethel, and Jacob demands that he goes and does away with all his false gods. Which while there, Jacob builds an altar to worship the Lord and to give praise and to share the story of how he had his encounter with God. And Joseph is, all, is now witnessing his father doing this. Genesis 35 and 5 tells us that this family journeyed. They um, enjoyed divine protection because they were surrounded by warlike tribes, but they were not attacked. This must have been having an impression on Joseph. Joseph is witnessing all of this. And, and what I'm trying to point out to you, how important it is to have positive influence not only on your children, your grandchildren, also on adults that come, in, and, uh, that come into your life. Right. It's always important to have some type of uh, positive influence because you don't know what that person has went through. It might have been like Joseph. They might have went through uh, hellish homes and, and abusive and drug-related homes all of their life, and they may feel like everybody, like Esau, is out to get them. They may have felt like they're no good. They may think everybody's the same. Everybody's an Esau. But then all of a sudden you come by and you show them positive influence, and you may be the only impact on their life. They may say, well, look, not everybody's an Esau. Mm -hmm. There's actually some positive people in this world. Mm -hmm. There are some people like that. They think that everybody is out to get them. Mm -hmm. Now, all the battles that Joseph went had messages in them. One of them was a message of hope. In the early years of Joseph's life taught us something. They teach us that just because your childhood it was like it was. It does not mean it defines who you are today. What Joseph went through as a child gives us hope for today because, again, the battles and trials that we go through does not define who we are. It's what we do with them. 
let me ask you this. Have you ever heard this saying? Well, that's just the way I was raised. How many of you heard that? Or I'm asking, how many of you said that? So uh, you be at your question because you said something or the way you done something, then you'd be like, well, that's just the way I raised. You know, it's, it's, it's in me. Well, I mean, with this all honesty, all love and humility, that's a cop out. That's an excuse. I'll prove it in just one moment. What about this? Well, my mother was ill-natured. That's how I am too. It's just in me. No, you choose to be that. Well, my parents were negative people, so I'm, I'm negative too. No, you choose to be that way. I have a bad temper. It runs in my family. I guess I'm just, by nature, I have a bad temper. No, you choose to have a bad temper. Let me, let me show you this. If you don't get nothing else I preach tonight, if you don't get nothing else I teach tonight, don't lose this. To blame your actions on people in your past is nothing more than a smokescreen for a heart that refuses to repent of sin and change by the power of God. To blame your actions on people in your past is nothing more than a smokescreen for a heart that refuses to repent of sin and be changed by the power of God. Mm -hmm. I can just leave that right there and go home. What is that saying? What is those few words telling me? It's the fact that because my mama had cancer. Well, my daddy had cancer. My grandmama and my granddaddy had cancer. But because they had cancer, I don't choose to leave this world with cancer. Well, my mama had heart problems. My daddy had heart problems. My grandmama and my granddaddy had heart problems. But I choose this day, I will not have heart problems. Well, my mama had a divorce. My daddy had a divorce. Well, my grandmama and my granddaddy had a divorce. But I choose that my marriage will not falter or my marriage will not fail. My marriage will stay intact because I choose this day. It's because my family, just because my previous generations went through hell and high water does not mean that I have to go to hell and high water. But I will tell you this one thing. I love going to the doctor. I love going to the doctor, not because of shots of medicine, but for this one particular thing I look forward to. I love sitting in that ice cold room, sitting on that hard old chair, and I wait for the uh, doctor to come in. The nurse comes in, smiles, and says, Sir, you may sit right here. Doctor will be with you in just a moment. And the whole time I'm sitting there with a smile, I can't wait to meet the doctor. And the doctor comes in and sits there and folds out his, uh, his papers and says, Have you ever had this? Nope. Have you ever experienced this? Nope. Have you ever had a symptoms of this? Nope. Have you ever had this? Nope. Well, it shows here that your mother had this. And, your, and it shows here that your father and your grandfather had this. I love to sit there and smile at him and say, Look, you're not talking to my mama. You're not talking to my daddy. You're not talking to my grandmama and my granddaddy. You're talking to a new breed and a new generation. It's coming just because they had it, just because they experienced it and they went through it, does not mean I have to go through it. Joseph chose my daddy went through it my granddaddy Isaac and my great granddaddy Abraham went through it but I will not go through what they went through Amen. secondly there was a message of 
for a home, message of home. And basically what he was saying here, Joseph, because of the, the home he came from, the dysfunctional uh, bachelor and the whole Maury, Jerry Springer home he came from, is not the home he decided that I'm going to have. Right. He was setting an example for the Christian home. What, saying that your home should be a sanctuary. Your home should be a place where praise and worship takes place. Your home should be a place of prayer. Your home should be where a Bible is not more than a dust magnet or a bookshelf, a, a book weight on the bookshelf. Your Bible should be open where it has been read and, and tears have fallen on the pages and marks have been marked in it where you have taken notes and you have studied the Word of God. And people, when they come into your home, they can say, I can tell somebody's been praying in this house. I can tell the, that the Spirit of God is in this house. You don't have to always be in church. That's right. I'm not being boastful. I'm not being uh, prideful and bragging on this. But in my home, we hardly ever watch TV. Hardly ever. But when we do, we have it on the, the baby channel for little man. And if he's playing and he's not paying attention to the TV, uh, uh, the, uh, the next thing we'll have on is worship music. And I've got countless videos. My wife has got countless videos where we have uh, sat in the floor and recorded him. Uh, that song Waymaker that we uh, sang several times at the church that there's a um, United Pentecostal group that sings that song. And something about that video, he likes it because I guess it's because the Spirit of God is moving so strong and people are getting so blessed in that, in that song. But then one time, one day, we walked in the living room. We didn't teach him this. We didn't actually show him this. He just done it on his own. And what he was doing, he was sitting there just rocking back and forth like he was just worshiping the Lord. And out of nowhere, he raises both hands up. And he's just sitting here just doing this right here because of the influence we've had had on our children. My daughter can tell you now, and she is 14 years old, some things that we have not actually taught her that she has experienced and saw in the world herself, she comes up to us and says, Mama, Daddy, that's not right. God does not like that. And when we sit back and say, that's my daughter. And, that, and how much of an influence we've had. And see, sometimes my daughter comes up to us and says, this ain't right and this is wrong and this is right. But and, and what surprised me about it is the fact that we didn't teach her those things. We didn't show her those things. But how did she learn it? By the influence. She watched us. She listened to us. My daughter and my son have been in church the day they were born. And I tend to keep them there. Amen. I pray over them, whether they realize it or not, or know it or not. I pray for my kids. That God will use them in a very great and mighty way for the kingdom of God. It's your home. This word all starts. Amen. Church can only do so much, but it starts in the home. Yes. There's a message of help. As I consider the problems and the plagues in the early days of Joseph, there is a great blessing that we can take from this. I can rejoice that God was able to take the ore of this young man's life, refine it and shape it, and to turn it into a precious piece of gold. Look at Joseph from the outside and considering all the problems and the dysfunction he had and all that he experienced, you can easily look at him and say, he's not going to make it. Now, I have actually seen people in my own life, I'm like, they're not going to make it. They're going to fall flat on their face and they prove me wrong. 
because of the choices and the decisions they make. It gives me hope as a parent that even though I made my own mistakes raising my own kids, that it gives me a comfort and to overcome that God can overcome my foolishness and my mistakes and use my children in spite of me. It even gives me hope as a pastor as I see children and have all the, um, the deck stacked against them, all this stuff that's coming against him, that it is a comfort to know that God can still work in their lives in spite of their problems, in spite of the situations and decisions they have chosen. It gives me hope that even as a person, that when I think of even myself or even you in your own life, how uh, even the baggage that I carry, even the mistakes that I make each and every single day, that God can still look down upon my life and says, hey, I can still use you. I can still work with you. All we got to do is be willing to go. Amen. And as I close, when God went looking for an apostle to the Gentiles, he didn't look inside the church. God went to the most unlikely mind imaginable and dug out some ore, O-R-E, that no one would have ever chosen. Everybody would have looked over it. But when God was finished refining and shaping it, it became a gold called Paul. When God went to choose a new king for Israel, God looked, didn't look in Saul's palace. But God went to a mine called Bethlehem and dug out some very unlikely ore when God was done fine, uh, uh, refining it and finishing it and shaping it and cleaning it up. He had David, a man after God's own heart. When God sought a man to lead his people out of Egypt, he didn't choose the most likely candidates. He went to an unlikely mine and dug up an, uh, an ore and washed it up and turned an 83-year-old fugitive and becoming the, uh, the keeper of his father-in-law's sheep. And after he shaped it and cleaned it, he had a Moses. What am I all, what, what all am I saying through this Bible study tonight? Just because of your past, your raising, where you came from, we don't even have to go all the way back to your childhood. It can be the last five years. It could be the last 10 years. Like Joseph. Look where Joseph came from. Such a dysfunctional home. Such a dysfunctional life. Dysfunctional parents. But he said, no. I choose to live for God. If you study the life of Joseph, the positive impacted him more so than the negative. How is that possible? It's what you choose to allow to impact your life. If you always look for the negative, guess what? You're going to get the negative. If you always look for the positive, guess what? You're going to get the positive. Just because we live in a negative, hate-filled, crime-filled, violent-filled world that we're going through today, we don't have to choose to live in this. We can choose to live in joy, peace, happiness, and live for God. I hope you enjoyed this Bible study as much as I have. I really, really enjoyed putting this together and studying. I've even learned some, a lot of things I didn't even know myself. And I hope that you have learned more, more about Joseph and his life and how he was brought up. And this, again, this is an introduction to um, some more study because, again, the life of Joseph is packed full of so much 
uh, relevant stuff that we can use in our own lives. I can't put it all in one message. I just can't. And you get the most out of it. And I believe this, this Bible study is going to help you. It's going to bless you. And so again, uh, take this with you. Bring it back with you. And we're going to dive in deeper next Wednesday. All hearts, minds are clear. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you allow this Bible study that we had tonight, God, that you allow it to penetrate and to work into our hearts and to our spirits. Lord, that, that we know tonight, Lord, from the story of Joseph, that, God, we are not defined today by who we were or where we came from or because of our, our family or because of our uh, friends and the environment that we came from does not define us who we are today. And Satan loves more, more to bring up our past and our failures and our faults that we did have and we came from to back to our remembrance. But today, we declare, we proclaim, and we choose today that we will serve you, we will live for you, and we will move forward. And we will not let the past define our future. We will not let the past define our purpose. God, I pray, God, you watch over each and every one tonight. God, you bring us back at the next appointed time, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. for Sunday school. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you, and we'll see you Sunday. Good work.